Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padamaro, and Hats on Lamps. It's episode 97, getting ever closer to our exciting episode 100 extravaganza, which Hats has ruminating in his head. He's brewing up an incredibly fun and exciting episode, I heard. Oh, where did you hear that? Well, when I mentioned it in episode 95, uh-huh. he said... We have plenty of time to think about episode 100. Oh, that does sound like an exciting plan. (laughs) So uh, I'm excited excited to hear what what Hats has brewing up in that old hat of his. Uh Boy, since the entire idea of having an episode 100 extravaganza is not mine, I'm really surprised that I have so many plans. (laughs) I'm shocked too. I am but very I, I'm shocked. glad I don't have to think about it. Yeah, uh, that's good. <laughs> for those of you tuning in for the first time, this is Hats. Hi. And this is me, Patrick. So we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little net analysis and blade tips thrown in. So this week, we're going to continue where we left off in our last episode had another couple weeks of uh, playtime in to experience the format, sort of solidify our ideas. We're going to check in with uh, our top commons and maybe update our lists, do a little bit of analysis now that we've had about 80, 87 decks submitted in our seven win uh, draft spreadsheet. So we can see what what combinations are doing well and what cards are starting to appear a little bit more than others. So we have sort of a mishmash of an episode here, um, just finishing up our initial thoughts on this format. Sounds good. Now, those are some exciting plans. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing in comparison to episode 100, I'm sure. No, it doesn't compare to what's brewing in my hat. <laughs> All right. So uh, on to announcements where we thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash farming eternal, uh, where you can donate as little as a, a month, a dollar a month, and you get access to our show notes, some recording bloopers, and you can also um, you can also donate more monthly for higher tiers. Ten dollar tier, you get some free food, as Steve Irwin and Demo know. So, yeah, so just a few fun little perks for supporting this show. The bloopers are great. You, th- you think this has been rough so far. You should see the stuff we cut out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh-huh. And we probably already have a blooper <laughs> already here. I think, I think everything up until now has been one. <laughs> oh, hey. No way. <laughs> I wasn't joking about episode 100. But uh, also, you get a shout-out um, for joining the patrons. So, thank you to Demo, Steve Irwin, Cotillion, Low-Key Trickster, Mercurio Blue, Abinego, Meagles, Madness, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Hamrid, Raven Dragon, Esrid0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yisto for supporting the show. Your support means so much to us. Thank you. So, Hats, how was your draft week? Or two weeks, even. Yeah, my draft this week is going fine. Last week was pretty pretty harsh for me. Uh, the last 
the last week of drafting before the end of the month, uh, I, I just took a tumble. Uh, maybe the worst stretch of drafting I've had since I started playing Eternal, actually. I went from rank 5 down to, like, rank 55. I know it could have been worse. I've seen more precipitous drops from some other good drafters in the past, uh, but it, still, it sure felt like everything was going wrong, and I didn't think that I was doing anything significantly different from the beginning of the format, which I was doing very well at, and uh, but it just never lined up. It just seemed like what my opponents were doing was just much stronger than what I was doing. But then, just as suddenly, it all turned around. I'm on a win streak again. My last four drafts have have been seven wins, um, and uh, I guess I I guess I went, but I, I stopped experimenting so much and started drafting safer again is one thing that happened, but I thought that I was drafting. Uh, I What happened is that I started experimenting. I started losing, and I was like, mm, I'm going to try to win now. I'm going to try to win again, and I didn't start winning again. So <laughs> I guess I I guess I just went back to really bait. I, I, I wish I could tell you that I made a specific change and I started winning again, but not really. Just variants kind of swung back in my favor again. Yeah, I, well, that's kind of what I was going to ask, is I know at one point you had mentioned in the Discord that you were trying to figure out some uh, primal uh, primal archetypes. And so I was wondering where in this sort of process or this story that the, t- the timing of that was. Was that like you were doing fine, so then you started to branch out into different archetypes? <laughs> trying to make primal work and then you started to lose i started losing when i started branching out but then when i tried to return to just drafting like the what i thought were the best factions and best cards period uh it didn't seem to fix anything and i think it was just a combination of bad variants and um it was just sort of the timing of all of it you know like it was obvious why i started losing but then it wasn't obvious it was there was there, phase one was I was drafting well and doing well. Phase two was I was drafting poorly and doing poorly. Phase three, I was drafting well but doing poorly, which can happen. It's just unfortunate that it came on the back of of drafting poorly and doing poorly. Yeah. <laughs> it really started compounding my mood and made and and made me a bit grumpy about the house. Yes. No, that's that is understandable. Um yeah, it it's kind of interesting that you've kind of had this experience because when we get into the seven win uh spreadsheet sort of analysis, it, there is a giant gap be- between the quote-unquote winning archetypes that people seem to be doing well with and then everything else. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to to see what that breakdown actually is. And I haven't looked yet. <laughs> and so I think we'll save this like what you've been doing well with till till yeah. that discussion because I think that'll yeah, be I can I can compare it to what everyone has been doing well with and see if there's uh see if it's the same things. So how was your draft week? My draft week has been okay. I haven't done a, a ton of drafts. Uh, but I, I did do a handful of them. Um, it's sort of... Uh, I've, I had this sort of same experience of you, is 
I just did so great <laughs> during the um, draft preview event that once I started actually doing drafts in um, in this new in Revelations, it felt like a bit of a letdown because I think I got I went I did four drafts in the preview event and got like three seven wins and one six win, and then once I started getting <laughs> my first I think three drafts in Revelations were four threes. So not bad, but like after doing really well, it felt like a bit of a letdown. And but just kind of I dropped it a whole bunch. I did a Combre, I did a Huru draft, I did a Stone Scar draft, and I had one more in there that I can't remember. And um, the main thing that I've thought is that I agree with everyone that this format feels pretty fast right now. My Combre deck that I had felt pretty good, but I was trying to play the, um, I had three of the six cost six, six dollars. And it just, in all three of my losses, it just felt so slow. It was like, I'm never surviving to turn six to play these. I mean, I never drew my sixth power, which is part of the problem. Uh, but it just like felt like even if I had, I wasn't really stabilizing with with that. It like felt like it, the only thing that could have saved me is if that card happened to have endurance. Um, yeah, because otherwise it's just sitting there hoping to stem the bleeding. Yeah, exactly. And the problem is, you can't you can't use it to end the game because after you quote unquote turn the corner because if you attack with it you it's no longer blocking and then fire just has so much reach that like, I felt like I was like, well, maybe I'll just like chance and attack this turn. Cause I eventually do need to win the game. And then all of a sudden my fire opponent would go like, I don't know, yeah, everything <laughs> bang, bang, bang. And all of a sudden I was dead. And I was like, Oh, sh- I guess I shouldn't have attacked, but either way, <laughs> but then I wasn't, I was just like letting them draw more burn. So, I was like dead either way. Yeah, uh, that is that is sort of the problem. Um, I guess there's I haven't had a, a lot of experience with Combray yet myself. I've done okay with it, but I haven't had that awesome Combray deck. But a lot of people seem to be doing really well with it. So I guess um, I guess I'm not sure exactly what the balance is. Um, how much. You know, there's some good defensive cards that keep you from getting overrun by fire, but um, I don't know exactly how many of those I need and and how many, you know, big finishers I need and that kind of thing. Uh, I've had one amazing Combray deck, but it had, um, it just sort of had the perfect curve and everything in, everything in the deck had Valor, so it was impossible to block anything I did. And that's good. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but... Um, when you start getting into like how do I survive until I play a six six and let it attack, then it's uh it's a little hazy for me still. I haven't had a huge amount of success with it, even though I've been crushed by good combray decks plenty of times. Yeah, no, I I yes, that that's true. Like my better combray decks have been the ones where I play a lot of the two job valor units and. Yeah. kind of go go wide with my Combray deck. I, I think the main problem is 
the the card nurturing sentinel which is the uh three cost stealth one four that at the beginning of your uh next turn it draws a sigil mm-hmm. um that card has gone up and up in my estimations and i'm not really playing the the six six valor guy unless i have a handful of those nurturing sentinels sure yeah anymore. yeah make that transition a little smoother yeah but uh then i like i said i played this stone scar deck and it was so sweet it had like 12 two drops it had four of the shadow path intimidators the yep. ones where you can make a unit unable to block for a turn it had three of the three cost uh four one oni that exhausts a unit um i had four iona's furies in the deck it was just like impossible to block if i could just get a unit to stick and uh, I managed to go 6-3 with the deck, and my two losses were one, I played the, um, I was, I played the, on turn two, I was on the play, and I was like, this is great. My hand was great, and I had the two-cost 3-1 Valor fire unit, and I played that. Then turn three, I, I played a second one, and then on turn, my opponent's turn three, they played a Manacles, and I was like, well, I am never recovering from this because i yeah yeah it doesn't matter if you invalidate their blockers because you don't have anything attacking yeah and then i also played against raven dragon and was doing really well getting her really low and then she played uh azrog street breaker mm-hmm. which is the uh six fire fire six four giant rogue that says when you attack with exactly two units deal four damage to an enemy in Tomb, the top two units of your deck get plus four attack and charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ridiculous card. <laughs> ridiculous card? What a ridiculous card. Yeah. Kill something when it enters the field as long as you have two units already. And then uh, and then if you manage to if you manage to kill Azrog, uh, your future is still very uncertain. <laughs> Yeah, because you can't attack anymore because they're just on a play even if it's with plus four attack and charge. Yeah, yeah, it's real brutal. And so I, I played for a few more turns and then uh, Raven Dragon uh, just picked off a, a unit a turn for a while and then I was like, well, <laughs> I don't think I'm winning this game. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it was kind Azra, of a Azra sad ending. Just- Azrog can also just go do four damage to your face <laughs> yes. if it needs to. Yeah, so it was kind of a, a, you know, losing to two rares was kind of a sad ending to the deck, but it was pretty sweet and kind of made me appreciate just how uh, powerful these aggressive decks are. But I think it also showed that there is some chance to be defensive. My third loss was just against uh, a deck that was able to handle my early drops and then stabilize and beat me down. And so I, I do think it is possible to, to not be aggressive and build a deck that can compete against these really aggressive decks. Yeah, that's been my experience. Yeah. 
I've had right. I've had everything from very aggressive decks to very defensive decks do well. But there's no doubt the aggressive decks are very strong because I think um, I think Direwolf has been making a lot of really strong one drops and and even more strong two drops and that just means that if you want to make a good aggressive deck it's totally possible. Yeah, one drops yeah. used to not be quite as much of a thing and they certainly are now. Uh, yes, I I agree. So what's uh, let's move on to card of the week. What is your card this week? I wanted to talk about diplomatic immunity, uh, and uh, that is a two justice relic weapon. Uh, it has zero strength and three armor, and on summon you create and draw a treasure trove, which is the two cost spell that draws a card. So I first want to talk about how poorly this card is named. <laughs> It is. There is not a picture of a weapon on the card, and I fail to see how the name Diplomatic Immunity is a relic weapon. If this were a spell that said gain three armor and make a treasure trove, that would make sense. But it isn't. It's a relic weapon. <laughs> so it's just nonsense. <laughs> but the other thing I want to talk about um is the card's potential because justice in general in this format has very strong commons and this sort of stands out as being a weird one there's a there's a valkyrie station card um as at uncommon which is the the three justice relic uh that uh gains you an armor at the end of each turn and if you are at seven armor creates a two two flying valkyrie which seems like a kind of a cool card if there's armor gain as a theme in the set but other than diplomatic immunity, there isn't. Uh, so it's almost like they had a they had a theme that they wanted to support, and then just sort of gave up after making two cards. Um, but I don't think that immunity only exists to support Valkyrie Station and other cards like it. I think uh, that its potential is uh, in Rakano decks because I've noticed when I've drafted Rakano. Uh, especially the sort of slower mid-range ones, you get a ton of Warcry bonuses. The top card of your deck that's either a weapon or a unit can just really rack up bonuses very, very quickly. And what I'm always wishing I had more of in those decks is Relic Weapons, because sometimes you just put everything on your next unit. You don't have control over when you draw your next unit, so like eight bonuses will go on... um, the next unit you draw, and then your opponent has topple, and that unit is now gone, and you feel like you've wasted your life. But if you have a relic weapon, then usually you get some card advantage because you can kill a few things with it. Um, and so I think that's uh, diplomatic immunity is terrible at zero three, but if it's a two cost one four that makes a treasure trove, suddenly that's quite a good card. <laughs> and if it's a two five, that's great. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where its home might be. It's I'm never going to say that it's a good card that you should be excited about, but if I'm already solidly in that deck, which I think is an excellent deck, the 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 deck that can create a lot of Warcry and Warcry like triggers, uh, Diplomatic Immunity at its worst is a card that replaces itself. Although it's a little power intensive to do that, um, at its worst it replaces itself and gains you a little life. But at its best, it's absurd. And so I'm going to 
at least try to experiment with that. The other thing that it does is it does create an entire card in your hand, um, which might be good for cards for decks that need to discard. So I think its other home might be in Argentport. So, um, but I clearly not as strong as in the Warcry style deck. So, just some science that I gotta do. Does Pathcutter give? Can it give relic weapons plus two attack? It absolutely can. So that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. It could it could make this into a two three for two that draws a treasure trope, which is again pretty darn good. Yeah. Well, it's it's definitely okay. Yeah. I mean, the fact anything that any card that can replace itself, even if it's a little power intensive, is is good. Like this doesn't trans. It's this isn't even uh, plunder where it transforms another card into a treasure trove. It makes one, right? No, I, I agree. I, I do like the idea of of trying to figure out how to make this card good. It's just man, it feels like things are going. All of these situations require things to be going so well for you already. That it just seems still tough for me to buy putting this into my deck. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just want to eke out like the best. There's there's times when the signals in a draft are so bad that I end up with almost not like I just don't have enough playables without wrecking mm-hmm. the influence in my deck. And it would be nice to know. Well, you know, I do have a lot of cards that w- would make immu- diplomatic community playable so i'm I'm just gonna throw it in there and there'll be and there'll be times when i I can't make it good and even then it will make a treasure trove and i can replace the stupid thing (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, it's funny with how you started this conversation talking about valkyrie station because the whole time you're talking about valkyrie station i kept thinking about how how this would work so much better with valkyrie station if it was just a spell yeah, yeah, it would. Um, but then all of your examples of how to make this card useful require it to be a relic weapon. Yeah, well, that's that's it. That's the only reason it's a it's an okay card. Um, if there, if it was just a pure armor gain theme and they had actually supported it, and then this was a spell, so it couldn't be attacked away, uh, that would be yeah, that would be different. That would be a different format. But they didn't do that. They made this a relic weapon, and I think they. It's. I think the things that I've just been talking about are why I think they had sort of a like buff weapons theme that's a lot stronger than the pure armor gain theme. So I mean, there. I I I will try before this format is over to get a good deck that is playing diplomatic immunity in it, just to mess with our spreadsheets. Yeah, no, I I like. I think those were all pretty good ideas of how to make this better. I'm not quite there in my exploration of this format yet. But. Sure. All right, so my card this week is Glen Sapper, which is the one shadow, one one uncommon. It has flying and then ultimate pay six and discard your hand to play two shadow sea slimes with attack and health equal to the number of units in your void. Um, So I had mentioned this on the Discord, uh, but this card has been fixed. So for a while, you were. required to have at least one card in your hand in order to discard your hand but now i've heard that you can discard an empty hand which i think in some sense i mean it's a small buff but make does make the 
make the card better because you can you can ultimate it on turn six now. Yeah, for sure. That's also more in the spirit of the card, I think. It doesn't I mean it just it says discard your hand. It shouldn't matter how many cards are in it. Yes. Yeah, and it definitely at least is consistent with other cards. So I I think that's that's good. Do you have but other the other on it? thing? So I wanted to mention that for anyone who maybe had used it earlier, and um, uh, and didn't know because I don't think they really mentioned the bug fix in any obvious place, uh, especially because there's been a whole number of cards that have been bugged. So I think they're not at the point where they're talking about mentioning the individual cards that they've fixed. Uh, but the other thing that was kind of interesting is I had asked in the main Discord about this card and whether it had been fixed or not fixed or what people thought. Uh, and uh, M. Gallup, who's a very good player, had uh, mentioned that he thought that Glenn Sapper was not nearly as good as it was in the preview event, which is where I had actually played it and had been very impressed with Glenn Sapper. And I have not played it yet in Revelations, but I've just been like racking my brain about why this card would be worse in Revelations and honestly can't think of a reason. And I, I didn't really have time to sort of ask M. Gallup why, why he thought it was worse, but I was just wondering what your thoughts about that would be. I don't know. I don't know why it would be worse now. Um, I think it's, I think it's fine now. <laughs> I, yeah. don't know, I don't know if it was better before or why it would be. Uh, so I would need to, I would need to hear hear the argument for that rather than just sort of a general sense. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like a great card. It's like a one drop that can get in, and then your opponent has to kill it or it's always in the back of their mind that once you get six power you can make you know two four fours five five six sixes you know it's it's like a one drop that's a totally great top deck it seems like a great card yeah that's been my experience with it um uh and and there's uh the way that they set up the draft packs it's actually pretty uh, easy to self mill a little bit. You've got your dark water vines in there, um, so you can you can end up with Glen Sapper being just a complete bomb. Um, although it's not always that way. That's not how it always shakes out. But it 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 is a one drop that demands removal eventually. So that's pretty good. Yes. So yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it was stronger in the in the preview format, but I didn't play a lot of the preview format. So. Um, so I wouldn't know. And one thing on the timing, when you discard your hand, it then, that counts towards the total of the Shadow Sea Slimes. Yeah, it absolutely does. And that, again, is in the spirit of the card. Yeah. And so if you have a Dark Water Vine out, Vines out, would those, that mill also count? I think it would, but I haven't seen that in practice. But I, I think it would. Yeah. Those are the kind of interactions that I'm always so scared that's, to try out. In that's game. going in that's going in the tips. Uh 
in the tips column of our Discord if I ever do it or see it happen. Yeah, that's it, the kind it, of thing where you you know you've got to have someone actually try it in a game before you're sure. Yeah, yeah, and that and that is a good plug for the Discord. This is on Hats's suggestion. We've started a. Uh, tips, tricks, and insights for Revelations uh, channel in the Discord where people can kind of post little tips and tricks and Hats has been going at it, posted a whole bunch of uh, sort of little card interactions or fun little things. Um, and so that's been a cool little channel that we added recently. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with how it's going so far. All right, so let's move on to the Mita episode, which for this episode is the seven win run breakdown section. So this is our longstanding data collection project here at Farming Eternal, where our listeners can send in their seven win drafts uh, to farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them on the seven win channel of the Farming Eternal Discord in either exported deck list or any kind of Eternal Warcry link. And then we take this information from our listeners, we compile it into a spreadsheet and do some data analysis on it uh, to draw conclusions about the format and share those conclusions on the uh, podcast. As well as each week, we uh, give a shout out to everyone who submitted a list this week. So we have two new contributors. We have Frafa and Winter Mew as well as some veteran contributors in Abednego, A-Boss, Agent Dynamo, Alabazoo, Avgots, Beard Broken, Camomilk, Collector, Cotillion, Psychologist, Darth Herman 2, D-Dubs, D-Mode, D-Vincent, Dwiggy, Alevi, Fafa Papa, FS Forward Sound, Gato Sujo, Gunner 116, Hats on Lamps, Ip Long No, Low Key Trickster, Madness, Mercurial Blue, Old Rich, Patamaro, Raven Dragon, Sleffer 13, Steve Irwin, Sunblaze, Tempest Dragon King, Vader, Who Does That, and Zelda 64. So, yeah, so quite a list. Uh, you know, we we missed, we didn't do an episode last week, so this is two weeks of names. But thank you to everyone who's taken the time to submit a list uh, these past two weeks, especially with the new format. Yeah, we're getting some numbers together. Yep, and uh, thank you, as always, to John Holio for actually entering the list and uh, compiling this name of contributors each and every week. We really appreciate you, John. Yeah, we do. All right, so last week, I guess the first thing I wanted to do is let's update our top commons. So last week, we made a list of our top commons with who does that. And um, this week, now that we've had some 80-something lists, I thought we would read the top three for each of the colors that have appeared so far, and then maybe an update now that we've had a couple weeks of experience with the format. So for the fire top commons, so this is out of 37 fire decks. The, the fire top commons are Blitzstone with 47, Rune of Flame with 33, and and Noah's Fury with 30. So how's that list look to you? That looks perfect, because my favorite three fire commons were number one, Blitzstone, number two, Rune of Flame, and number three, Inoa's Fury. <laughs> so I feel pretty justified in that. Yes. Yeah, my big question looking at these top three and then our top three that we made last week is where Detonation Cannon falls. 
in this list. I guess Detonation Cannon would would go right after that. Although I actually might put it above Inoue's Fury now, but personally, because so I've had uh, I, I think Detonation Cannon is sort of linchpin to a good fire deck because it provides so much reach, um, and uh, and and I do find being able to to smack something for two to be valuable enough that I can have both Blitzstone and Detonation Cannon in my deck and not feel like I'm playing too much cheap removal. So, uh, and also, people have started to learn how to play around Inoue's Fury. It's not easy, but um, it's possible. So, (laughs) (laughs) you just have to sort of expect it all the time. Anyway, uh, yeah, if if it's not number three, then it's got to be number four. Because okay. the 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 common like the units in fire are pretty much interchangeable like attacky things, but um, but the removal is sort of what you want to be solid before you start filling in with units. Yeah, yeah. I know you posted a, a what's the pick uh, this week on the Discord where it was Blitzstone versus Detonation Cannon, and I think you ended up with Blitzstone. I did take Blitzstone there, and I think someone—I I don't remember who said this—but it was uh, that the first Blitzstone is better than the first Detonation Cannon. But in the end, you kind of want to balance between them because Blitzstone is better at the beginning of the game, and Detonation Cannon is better at the end. Yes, and so then you think you you would have Ruin of Flame sort of above Detonation Cannon? Uh, uh it's tough. That's a tough one. Uh, no, actually, you know what? I wouldn't. So I guess my revised list would actually be Blitzstone, Detonation Cannon, Rune of Flame, Inoue's Fury now. Um, yeah. And that might change again, but I feel okay about saying that now. Yeah, and I, I actually, I think that's my, uh, that's where, I, where I'm where i at too. That, so that, that, I think this is our, what's the word where two people agree? Consensus? Our consensus. Yeah. <laughs> that rare thing. Yeah, our consensus. Our consensus fire top commons is Blitzstone, Rune of, or Blitzstone Detonation Cannon, and Rune of Flame, with Iona's Fury being really close. But I, I kind of agree. Like, Iona's Fury is really good, but um, it's not my draw into fire. It's the card that once I'm in fire, I'm hoping to get a whole bunch of them. But I'm not picking them super early. Yeah, so our time top commons in the spreadsheet. So this is out of 33 time decks. Uh, number one is Openway Supplier with 35 copies. Number two is Nurturing Sentinel with 30 copies. And number three is Populous Controller with 30 copies. Yeah, as far as predictions, I was way off on this, but I knew that um, I knew that I, I didn't have a real good handle on time when we talked last time, so uh, I'm, I'm okay with it. And uh, I said Telekinetic Shackles was my top pick, and I still think it's an excellent card, but you're not going to see a ton of copies in every deck, so it's also uh, it also wouldn't be one of the top commons in that sense. Um, yes. But I still might take it over some of these cards because my first Telekinetic Shackles in a deck feels very strong to me. Um, and then I said Concealed Veteran, which is just the 3-3 with Stealth. And that was just sort of based on my early um, experience with Stealth, where having the biggest Stealth unit felt very valuable. But I think I was really underestimating Nurturing Sentinel. I just didn't understand how 
uh, good that card would end up being. Um, it's a really good blocker. And um, it lets you play those big, like, uh, the, like t time gets to play the some of the biggest units in the game, which is good because that's what time should be doing. And Nurturing Sentinel uh, sort of paves the way for that by by drawing you an extra sigil and, and just sort of making your deck run smoother. And I think I was just underestimating that. Yeah, and then uh, it's kind of interesting that the rune for time sort of hasn't entered into the the top commons for the color yet. Um, yeah, I said I said rune for number three, and uh, I I don't know where it is on the list, but I guess it's uh, I guess it sort of makes sense. I don't know. It's yeah, not it's exactly weird. what time needs to do, basically. Time needs to put large things onto the board and then attack with them. And then it doesn't really need to cast them again. And it doesn't really care what your opponent's blockers are because it's just going to barrel right over them anyway. So I can see why teleportation would not be a, like a highly prized effect, especially at slow speed. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, this is actually one of my big sort of disappointments. I expected Rune of Relocation to be a bunch better than it was but in my two combray decks i've really not been super impressed i you know i haven't played it that many times but i've never been far enough ahead that like a a sort of a, a tempo bounce has been good enough nor been in a situation where i was like bouncing their blocker and getting lethal and then so it always felt like i felt like compelled to get the value out of the rune but <laughs> but but then also didn't really have any creature on my opponent's side where it was like really doing much to bounce it for a turn yeah yeah, it's just sort of not positioned well. It's a good card. It just doesn't do what you need what you need in this format. Yeah. Not that, and it, then I will not that say, it's unplayable. Throw them in your deck. You might as well. There's still sigils. <laughs> oh, definitely. De yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely worth taking, but it, it hasn't been as good as I was kind of expecting it to be. Um, but I, I will say your prediction for telekinetic shackles uh from last episode was correct. This card is incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I I still am not picking it as like my top common or anything, just because I don't really want. You know, like I'm I'm happy I guess playing two in in probably most of my decks, but it's not like I I still have trouble picking it over a a good unit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Um. So, so what do we feel about about this list and like what what cards in time are we picking first? Do you agree? Do you do you feel like this is a good? I think this is fine. Yeah. Uh. So, open way supplier is the one one for two time. Uh. That that gives you plus one maximum power while it's on while it's in play. Uh, and then its summon ability is that the next unit you draw gets killer. And I I think it's fine. I think maybe people don't kill it often enough when it's on the field, like with their cheap removal. Because it's like, oh, it's just a 1-1. One, one. 
yeah, you kill kill the open way supplier. <laughs> yeah. Um, that kill it like it's any other two drop, because uh, it's going to cause problems for you because your opponent is ahead uh, on power, and if it gets to cast a four drop, um, if your opponent plays open way supplier on two, um, and then the four four with valor on on three, you're really behind. Don't let them do that. <laughs> uh, so it's. I've noticed though when I've tried to put together dedicated ramp decks um, that open way supplier will often give killer to the next open way supplier, which is not fun. But I think it often enough gives killer to something that's bigger than anything else on the field because you're playing time uh, that it does feel like a huge advantage. Um, so I can understand why it would be the top pick. I don't know. It's really hard for me to pick it that high like it's the best time common though it feels like something that facilitates the rest of your time cards um Mm -hmm. so what what time common are you picking first then i think nurturing sentinel right now i'm going to take uh our uh, like we've had discussions on the discord that indicated that nurturing sentinel is the best time common and i want to play with that a little bit more um and i'm still going to take telekinetic shackles pretty high and then after that, probably Populous Controller, although, uh, because, but only because there's not a preponderance of six drops the way there was in the last format. So it's fine to have like two controllers at the top end and, and have the biggest thing on the field when, um, when sort of all of the early trades are done with. So I think that's probably fine. Um, oh, did I say I didn't say open way supplier? I want to put open way supplier in there somewhere. I just don't know where to do it. I guess it's first nurturing sentinel, then open way supplier, and then like the first telekinetic shackles, but not the second, <laughs> and then populous controller. Okay. Yeah, I like that. So we're just doing a little switcheroo: nurturing sentinel, open way, and then open way supplier, and then. And I absolutely could be wrong. That's just how I feel about it right now. Um, I'll try taking open way supplier uh, higher and, and see what happens, but I haven't had a lot of success with that so far. Okay. Yeah, no, and and that's what the, this is, is we're just taking a snapshot of where we are now, I think. so. Yeah. I think this yeah, is good. Yeah, these cards are not separated by a ton either. Like, we've had 35 copies of Openway Supplier and then 30 copies of Sentinel and Controller so far. That's not statistically massive. No, no, it's not a, not a huge difference. Um, unlike this next one. Yeah. Uh, so, into Justice. The Justice Top Commons, actually very close to our lists. So, this is out of... Uh, 55 justice decks and so number one is urza squadron with 59 copies number two is inquisitive alchemist with 49 copies and number three is topple with 45 copies yeah and my and and last episode i i put urza squadron at number one and topple at number two and inquisitive alchemist at number three uh so that's close and but I think this is more or less right. Like there are, our spreadsheet is probably correct because I've just gone up on Inquisitive Alchemist. I've thought it's a better and better and better card. And Topple is also very good. But there are overall number one, number two, and number four commons like that anyone has been winning with. <laughs> and that's also correct because they're very good. Yes. Like if you see any of these cards going past like third or something then justice is probably open enough for you to go into it 
and make it to yeah. make it. Yeah, and I I think sort of going off of your list from last week, I still probably like pack one, pick one. If there was a topple and an inquisitive alchemist, take the topple first. Um, yeah, that's fair. Uh, again, topple is a card where I think if you have too many copies of it, it's it's stops being quite as good. I don't like to have more than two in a deck, whereas I will play four inquisitive alchemists without even thinking about it. Yeah, I guess that's true. You, you know, maybe maybe the, I'm like, with remove, with all of this conditional removal and the, the ability to hover over stealth cards. Yeah, it is fun. <laughs> I think maybe I'm like, free I read too much so into that ability now. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool to be able to do. Uh, you can, uh, for those who haven't tried it yet, you can drag Topple out onto the field without casting it, and anything that it can legally target will 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 highlight. So, um, uh, and it, it can only kill an enemy unit that has the highest or is tied for the highest strength on the field. So it can give you a ton of information if your opponent has any stealth units, which is great because it. You can't target your own stealth, your own units with it, obviously. Uh, but you also, uh, but you can compare if you have stealth units on the board, or any just any of your units. You compare them to whether or not your opponent's stealth units uh, can be targeted by topple, and it can tell you almost exactly what they are in some cases. Exactly, and like, and this happens. You, you can do this for everything. I mean, there's a whole bunch of these sort of conditional removals like even quick draw you want to find out if your opponent's five cost stealth unit is the four two with quick draw drag it over with gun down and yeah that was very relevant in a game for me once which is when i decided to put it in the um in the tip channel because uh, i like i was i was a little ahead in a game and then they brought down a, a, a stealth unit and I didn't know whether I could attack into it with my smaller units but I did have a gun down in hand <laughs> and so and so I couldn't target it I was like oh it's a 4-2 I can totally attack with everything <laughs> of course if it hadn't been the 4-2 I probably could have killed it with gun down but still it was nice to know yeah exactly and yeah so I, I, uh, I yeah so we like this list it's I'm still not totally sure whether inquisitive alchemist or topples my number two or number three but it's definitely those top three yeah all right uh, primal um, primal so far we only have 15 decks oh yeah um, and so you know not a huge sample size for these yet but uh, the, the three are Rune of Trickery, which is the one that um, stuns a unit. There's Boiling Geyser, which uh, is deals three damage to a unit played this turn. And Wild Azri, which is the two cost, two one flyer, um, are the, the three top primal commons with uh, 16, 13, and 10 copies, respectively. Yeah, uh, so I guess... I, yeah, I guess I, I didn't really even think about Rune of Trickery when I was making my list. I feel like we talked about it, but I just didn't think it was one of the better ones. But it does stun. It's 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 um. Uh, yeah, it's good, and it's good. It's Rune of Trickery. You can splash too. You can just sort of throw it in and 
uh, stuff. But that's not. Uh, are we counting splashes like splashing? This, this, this number list? will include splashes. It will. Okay, so that's probably where a lot of the rune of trickery is coming from. Is uh, is is splashed ones in other decks? Yes, very. That's very possible. So ignoring that. Um, I do like my predictions were boiling geyser, wild Asri, and then rule the skies. And I do think rule the skies is a lot worse than I initially thought it was. It just doesn't, it's just not an efficient way to get rid of something on the ground. And there's not enough big air units that it's, uh, that it's that great. Um, I, I don't mind playing rule the skies in a deck, but I'm not excited about the card and it's way down on my pick order now, but boiling geyser is just as good as I thought it was. Um, it can't kill everything, but early in the game, it really, it really demolishes all of your opponent's early drops, um, for only one power. So it, it really gives you a lot of control. And then wild Asri is the two, one flyer for two. And, uh, it almost by default, it's like <laughs> primal's best, unit <laughs> it's fine um it's a very aggressive card and primal it has trouble putting together an aggressive deck sometimes but if you do play an aggressive like my best the best deck that i've played in this format so far was skycrag which was just uh like a bunch of wild Azri's and uh like other flyers and then a ton of ways to stun my opponent's units and make them unable to block and i just steamrolled everything um so i and i guess uh i guess wild asri is all is fine just sort of as a two drop that can trade occasionally with other two drops um but it does feel like it's at its best in an aggressive style and then of course because primal being what it is it doesn't that aggressive style isn't really supported with the rest of the common so it's almost by default the second best card (laughs) yeah I I agree. I think my my updated list is pretty close to uh, this one. Um, I probably take Boiling Geyser first, then Ruin of Trickery, and then Wild Azri as my uh, top top three commons. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Though maybe you know maybe Ruin of Trickery should be number one because like. Because it is so splashable. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to rate the runes sometimes. It is. But, but I yeah, think, I agree. I think if you're taking... Sort of is underperforming what I initially expected. Unless, like you said, in Skycrag, where you're just like being so aggressive. And I know a lot of people, uh, Curtis Lee and I were talking a little bit. Streamer and very good player. And... They were talking about how they were on a super hot streak playing a ton of uh, Skycrag and Stonescar and just very aggressive decks and were getting a ton of seven win lists. And um, I can definitely see it. I haven't done it yet, but but yeah, I, I, I think it's a legitimate strategy. That's certainly like it, it certainly resulted in my best deck in the format using that strategy. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And Boiling Geyser, I think, is a one-cost spell. Like, you could just play in <laughs> so many of these and be happy. Especially because dealing three da- doing three damage kills so many things in this format. It really does. 
Yeah, there's a certainly a threshold where it no longer is good, but uh, almost everything with stealth uh, that costs three gets gets killed by boiling geyser. And the one exception uh, would be uh, the nurturing sentinel, which is a one four. But even then, even in that worst case scenario where you don't kill it, um, you are robbing them of of the extra sigil. Yes. All right, and then the shadow top commons. Uh, so for shadow decks, we have 37 shadow decks, and our top commons are Glen Pathcutter, which is the one cost 2-1 that buffs a unit in your hand when it dies or goes to the void. Rune of Illusion, which plays Ghost Swarm, which gives a unit unblockable and life steal. And then Shadow Path Intimidator, which is the 2 cost 2-2, that can mill two cards or make a unit unable to block for the turn. Yeah. Uh, and my my top commons uh, in our last episode were number one, Shadow Path Intimidator, number two, Glenn Pathcutter, and number three, Rune of Illusion. So that's pretty close to what we have so far uh, on the spreadsheet. And honestly, I would still put Shadow Path Intimidator at number one. Uh, path cutter may very well be better, but I think it's, um, I think its value drops off a little bit if you're if you're not trying to be extremely aggressive. I guess so does Intimidator, but I think Shadow Path Intimidator is just a more versatile card. And what I like about Intimidator is that it does reveal stealth units at its like as sort of a side effect, and I like cards that do that. Um, it makes the stealth unit unable to block, and then you attack with things, plus you reveal it. Great. <laughs> what a great thing to do. Um, and then it also has that utility of forcing a discard, um, which is nice in Argentport decks, and also nice to mess with people who have been doing a lot of Warcry. So I, I just think in general, I, I, I take it as more of a signal that Shadow is open than if I'm seeing late Pathcutters. Uh, but I could be wrong about that, and Pathcutter is an excellent card. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I buy the argument that Intimidator might be better. I still feel like Pathcutter is the better signal because I feel like maybe I'm just reading into my own evolution on Intimidator, but I feel like people will be continuing to undervalue Intimidator, so it's not really a signal. I guess that's true. You do have to take into account what other people are doing, not just what's going on in my own head. But yeah, I, I still I, I think me personally, I, I have Pathcutter first, probably still Intimidator second, and then Rune of Illusion. So I just have your one and two switched. Um, but yeah, Intimidator, especially based on this last deck, has really shot up in my estimation. It's just so flexible. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, I do I do like uh, playing a turn one Darkwater Vines and then Shadow Path Intimidator. So I had a really ridiculous deck that was an Argentport sort of discard-focused deck, and it had a, a whole bunch of copies of Faceless One, which is the 2-1 for, uh, for one shadow. Uh, but if you have a shadow influence and it goes to your void from anywhere, discarded from your deck or anything, um, then you put it into play for free. Uh, so I had a bunch of those. So I would, I would start a lot of games with turn one Darkwater Vines, turn two Shadow Path Intimidator, mill myself, uh, which gets rid of the top six cards of my deck, 
buffs the dark water vines and probably puts a um a faceless one or two into play and that's turn two and my opponents would just concede <laughs> yeah yeah i will say i know this is ridiculous but especially in the deck where i had four shadow path intimidators i would often play it on turn two with my opponent having no unit on the board yeah and then I only had a single path cutter, so I didn't really have a lot of discard themes. But I did have a path cutter, so there was like a chance that I would discard it and buff a unit in my hand. But boy, do I dislike discarding myself. <laughs> Yeah, it's usually correct if you're playing an Intimidator, though, because there's so many ways that discard can help your opponent. Exactly! It's so painful. It's so, so painful. But yeah. I'm like, yeah, when you're, like, stuck on two power and you're like, I know if I discard from myself, I'm going to discard two power. It's going to yeah. suck. It's all psychological. Um, I will, I have to call out a particular game that I had uh with one of our with one of our patrons uh low-key trickster uh they went uh turn two intimidator uh milled themselves and hit uh and hit elding <laughs> which is the, the constructed card which is uh it's a it's a 6-3 legendary um and if you have two shadow influence which low-key trickster did uh, <laughs> then you can, and it goes to your void. You can sacrifice a unit in play uh, to play one of the uh, knights of what are the knights of the apocalypse? What are they called? Um, the, anyway, the pale riders. The pale riders. Yeah. So on turn two, they uh, they got a four four with life steal. I was like, oh no, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to recover from that. <laughs> and no no card disadvantage or anything. That was just. Transform your Shadow Path Intimidator into a four-four with Life Steal on turn two. Good yeah, luck. Yeah, we could put that in the tips or tricks. That's a that's a pretty good move. There. Yeah, try to try to do that. <laughs> try to draft <laughs> Elding, which is a legendary, and then discard it on turn two. <laughs> All right. So yeah. So the, the I think we're pretty close with the with the spreadsheet on the on these ones too. Yeah, then I think I, I only really we'll... missed on time so far. Yeah. And then for just our multicolor top commons, uh, number one is Skullbreaker, which is the Stone Scar uh, top common, and that is the three two with Deadly and Overwhelm. Yeah, only Deadly on your turn, thank goodness. Yes. Uh, then there is Noble Enforcer, which is the Combray. Uh, four four with valor for four. Yep. And then number three is Queen's Elite. Oh, geez. What's Queen's Elite doing? I don't know. Queen's Elite. I forget. It's what is it? A three cost two two. It's a three cost two two. When you attack with exactly two units, the next unit or weapon in your deck gets plus two plus two. Yes. I forgot what it cost, but so yeah, it's, it's kind of a it's kind of a passive repeated Warcry two. It's like if you put Warcry two on a unit, but it doesn't actually have to attack itself. Yeah, so those three are pretty strong cards. They are. Um, all right, then, so then yeah. uh, to now that we went through our top commons, uh, let me just do some uh, 
sort of the the color breakdown. So right now, far and ahead is Justice. So our 87 decks, 55 of them have Justice in them. So 63% of our decks have Justice. And again, if it, this was a two-color format and all of the colors were balanced, you'd expect everything to be at 40%. Um, for reference. Then uh, our next two colors are Fire and Shadow or Tied with 37 decks out of 87. So 42.5% of our decks have uh, Shadow and Fire in them. Then number three is Time. 33% of our decks have Time in them. And finally, Primal. 15 of our 87 decks have Primal in them. Okay. And That's oh yeah, and then the the one final thing is uh, right now we're averaging two point two four colors per deck, so this is pretty close to a two color format. There's not been a you know of the eighty seven decks, sixty seven of them have been two colors, and nineteen of them have been three colors, and we've had one four color deck so far. Okay. Uh, this all matches my experience more or less. I do think Justice is far and away the best faction. And I've had a lot of success with various combinations of Fire, Justice, and Shadow kind of mixing together. Um, and I know other people have had a lot of success with Combray. I haven't personally yet, but um, it does seem strong if you can make everything work. Yeah, and and that leads us into our our top-performing color pairs. Like I said, there's a huge dichotomy in the top four and everything else. So number one um, is actually Combray. So 24% uh, of our decks have Combray, so 21 decks have Combray in them. Uh, then our sort of our tier two uh, with 16 or 17 decks are Arjunport, so Justice Shadow has 16 decks. Uh, Stone Scar Fire Shadow has 17 decks, and Rakano uh, Fire Justice has 16 decks. Yeah, those uh, are all good decks. I would expect yes. them to be doing well. And then, and then our fifth best best deck is Elysian with six copies. Okay, how many of those am I responsible for? Oh, uh, only two. Yeah, so quite a huge jump, um, and and then it goes down from there, <laughs> all the way to Felm with uh, currently one Felm deck. Yeah, Felm's tough. Felm is tough to make work. Uh, I've tried. It didn't work out well, um, and I've had a really hard time getting Huru to work as well. Uh, and it, it seems like Huru should have a bunch of good cards in it, but it's just really, there's no consistent theme. So your your uh, individual good cards uh, are often aren't good, aren't good enough. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the, man, the Huru common should be good enough to carry the deck. Yeah, Stormhawk uh, Concoction. It should be, but that's a really awkward card if you can't, like, get uh, like it's obviously extremely powerful when it works but it's not great if you can't um like get established on board you know like if you can't get established on board at least well enough to stall the game um then 
it's it's sort of like I think what you want is you want something really aggressive. So Stormhawk concoction, uh, which gives plus three plus three, and then every additional power that you spend uh, draws you a card if you can connect with your opponent's face. Um, I think the uh, the ideal situation for it is a deck that's aggressive enough where Stormhawk concoction can either draw a bunch of cards or just outright kill them. Because um, if it's if you're just sort of waiting for it to draw a bunch of cards and then hoping to grind out a game, the support is not really there <laughs> in the cards to make that deck work. So I've ended up with decks uh, when I've tried to draft Huru during my my period of of losing a lot. I would have two Stormhawk concoctions just kind of sitting in my hand because I couldn't get ahead on board enough to actually play the stupid thing. Yeah, yeah. I get. I guess I I. I was making, you know, the comparison to Valiant Leap where you get that you're either finishing the game with it or, you know, Valiant Leap would sort of get you a, a would draw a card in a sense when you when you revenged it, but while Concoction, you know, immediately draws you the card. So they're very similar cards in my mind and they're similar but they're not the concoction isn't fast, and that, that it turns out that that is a huge problem. Yeah. Okay. Are you? Do you mean just like on on defense, it it's worse? No, I mean that you never get. I, I mean that um, you with valiant leap, you would eat one of your opponent's units because you would win a combat, and then later it would come back and win the game for you. With Stormhawk Concoction, it, I'm not saying it's a bad card. It certainly is very effective when it works. Uh, but it, uh, you um, you don't get to kill something on that first attack. So you're basically... And there's, a, uh, there's more counterplay than I was expecting. Uh, if your opponent is just sort of keeping a Telekinetic Shackles in their hand, then your Stormhawk, Stormhawk Concoction is useless. And that's a pretty common thing to have happen if you've gotten into a, sort of a, a board stall state where you can send something into the air and actually connect with it. So it's not its not like it's bad. It certainly draws a lot of cards when it works. It's a powerful card. Um, I'm just not going to jam them into my deck the way that I would Valiantly because it's much less versatile. It's, mm-hmm. not, a, it's not a combat trick and Valiantly was. Yeah, no, I, I definitely can see that. I don't... I don't know if I'm there yet on not jamming a ton into my deck, but... Uh, I mean, try it and see how it works. I found it to be very clunky. So, yeah, so, again, like you said, you haven't been having a ton of success with Combray. It is our number one deck, but the sort of the FJS colors you have been having success with. Yeah, tons. Um, so what are your Rakano decks looking like? Uh, well, I just had a, a good one today, um, and then a couple of days ago. And what they're looking like usually is they're a little slow at the beginning, um, mm. because a lot of the units that you play near the at the beginning of the game are are sort of small for their cost. But then you start racking up a lot of those uh, those warcry bonuses on your next unit, and so if you if you can. Uh, if you can handle the early game and not just outright lose, uh, all of your draws end up being very, very strong compared to your opponents uh, in the mid game and late game. So uh, I find it really interesting compared to 
the Rakano decks that we played with in the last format, which were really just like win as fast as you possibly can. Like I play a five, five on turn three, and then I start playing flyers and it's not like that with this. I think that you are, are really looking at those war cry triggers to make relic weapons really big and, and, uh, and just make some unstoppable units that can instantly stabilize. And there's so many tools to do that now that um, it's an effective strategy that you can really count on. So, that's kind of what they look like for me. Although I did, I mean, the 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 deck from a couple of days ago had three passionate stone hammers, which is the two one flyer from last format with flying berserk and reckless and plunder, uh, and so it was a pretty aggressive deck. <laughs> but uh, but also like, um, I think that I've had the most success with slower decks that really rack up a lot of value over time with those Warcry triggers. Uh, that's been what my decks usually look like. I'm not saying it has to be, but I've had more success with slower Rakano decks than with ones that are trying to just attack for massive damage starting from turn two, um, which is the ones that really did well in the last format. So, Yeah, so you're kind of talking about like a Queen's Elite style yeah, Queen's Elite, Retrofitted Sentinel, um, uh, Pumpworks, Engineer. Uh, I mean, or obviously Ursa Squadron, but that would go in a very aggressive deck or a slower deck. Uh, th- let's see, what else What else does that very same thing? Um, uh, uh, Inquisitive Alchemist. Uh, you, you discard it with your, your turn two workshop tinker and get a big bonus on your next unit. Uh, there's a lot of that kind of thing. You're not playing Mechanized Constructor. <laughs> which 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 is that card? That's the that's the un the uh, Rakano uncommon. The seven cost Rakano seven five. When you play a relic, play a Sentinel with attack and oh, yeah. equal to the relic. No, I haven't had a deck where that made sense yet. But I'm not totally against it if I have enough relic weapons because um i do think relic weapons are very strong in that deck and if uh, and if i didn't have like a lot of top end already then i i don't think that that would be a bad card in the deck because i mean if they can't kill it immediately that thing does win the game it's just very expensive Mm -hmm. all right so then that's that yeah it does feel like stone scar has taken over that sort of all-out aggressive deck in this format. Oh, yeah. You've got strong one-drops and unbelievable two-drops just because of Skullbreaker um, and Intimidator. And then, yeah, you you can... It's so hard to block a Stone Scar deck because, like, everything's either got Valor or it just has Deadly and Overwhelms with transfer over things, and then you can make things unblockable. It's very, very, very aggressive. Yeah. And then what does the Justice Shadow decks look like? I think it can look at a couple of different ways. I've seen people put together a really good version of the of the discard deck where they'll uh they can really take advantage of racketeers, uh, which is the three two for four. Um, but when it goes to your void you can pay two to make a four three. Uh that's a very that if if you've got a deck that has enough ways of discarding on purpose, that thing can be really scary. Um, but also, you can just be very aggressive, <laughs> um, like with 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 Argent Port. Like my 
my best deck was probably that Skycrag deck, but my second best deck in this format so far was that Argentport deck I was describing earlier where I could make myself discard and throw a bunch of faceless ones onto the battlefield. That was that was really that was a really good deck. <laughs> it was it put so much strength on the on the uh, battlefield so quickly um, that it was it was really difficult to stop. So I think Argentport looks a little trickier. Like you've got a lot of removal between Topple and Shadow's usual removal suite. So um, I think that uh, you just have a lot of sort of board control. Um, and then the Justice is very strong overall commons. So I think that's what it looks like. Okay. It's not quite so it's then, not quite as straightforward as Rakano or Stone Scar, but I, I think there's a lot of ways you can make Argentport strong. Kind of like last format, frankly. Yeah, no, I I agree. It's Argentport is doing a, a lot of cool things. I now that we're talking about Argentport, one of my decks was an Argentport deck that was super 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 sweet. Yeah, it's definitely a fun color combination in this format. Of the other six colors, are there any that jump out at you that f- feels like it should be better than is its current representation shows? Uh, yeah, Felm. Um, Felm feels like it should be able to come together because you've got access to a lot of removal, a lot of Primal's good removal cards are boosted right now in the draft packs, like Polymorph. Is Polymorph a real card, or am I, or am I naming a, a Hearthstone card? Polymorph is, it turns it into a 1-1. Yeah, okay, so Polymorph. And, uh, <laughs> I guess it's a common trope. Um, yeah, there's Polymorph, there's, uh, I've forgotten the names of everything all of a sudden. There's the one that just stuns something permanently, Permafrost. Permafrost, Polymorph, uh, you, you've got, most of Shadow's good removal is is around. You've got cut ties and stuff for long game. Uh, you've got Minister of Obeyance, which is a great card if you're playing a long game. It is a good card anyway. Um, it's gone way up in my pick order. Uh, and then... Uh, and then the uh, the double faction cards in Revelations are really good for Felm. Um, the three one Stealth Sloth that that makes Razor Bots when it dies is great. Uh, and then and then a, a spell that does two damage with Life Steal is great. And it's amazing if it draws a card because you have a Stealth unit in play. So uh, it feels like Felm should be okay, but. Um, when it comes down to it, like the other factions are doing bigger and better things. There's not enough ways to to kill like one really big unit in film. Um, or I guess there are. I, I just named a whole bunch of them. Uh, but it just doesn't. It just doesn't feel like your cards are stacking up well against what your opponent is doing. So I'll still try it sometimes if it seems wide open but it doesn't seem to be a winning strategy right now um but i want to make it work because it feels like all the pieces should be there and then elysian i think has a a flyers deck that also should be good but i think it's missing some pieces because um there's not a bunch of uh, whenever whenever they don't boost the flyers for primal in the draft packs it feels like it's missing something important because what you really want is those uncommon flyers in primal that you get as a reward for being in primal (laughs) you know you want that six four with overwhelmed flyer you want that kind of thing 
And if those cards aren't boosted um, to, to a sufficient degree, then you don't get the payoff for being in Primal in the first place. You've just got a bunch of sort of card draw and sort of conditional removal, and you don't have anything that you actually can actually win the game with. So I think that's the situation for Primal right now. But, you know, you've got a 2-1 flyer for 2 and a 3-1 flyer for 3, the stealth one that gets flying if you play another stealth unit. Uh, so it feels like the pieces should be there to... to play a pretty good Skies deck. Uh, but I think it has to be wide open for it to actually work out, because there's not quite enough support for it in the commons. I agree. I guess I, I'm still not... I don't know. Elysian still doesn't excite me, necessarily. I'm kind of surprised that Praxis isn't a thing. You know, the Praxis two-color cards are are pretty, are pretty good, and then... Um, just like Fire has a lot of good cards, and Time has some pretty good cards. Um, you know, and Fire has the early game, and then, and then the Time can, you know, it, that'll bridge you to the late game. I don't know. I, I guess I've been surprised that Praxis hasn't hasn't shown up. But my one Praxis deck wasn't, d- didn't blow me away either. Yeah, I don't know exactly what makes a good Praxis deck. I thought I had a really sweet ramp Praxis deck because I had some, uh, I had I had two of the Hellkite, the Skyfire Hellkite, the seven four that where everything does damage when it comes into play, and uh, I had a, a lot of ramp, and it just sort of it's it had the problem that ramp decks have, you know, where you're you're where you're. You got to get your your uh, ramp cards first, and then your payoffs later. And it just didn't happen often enough for me to get seven wins. I got five wins with that deck, though. It was still a ton of fun to play. Yeah, yeah. And I also I it makes sense in retrospect, but the um, because of the themes of this format. But the fact that the uh, the three cost one one flyer. That gains plus one plus one when another unit hits the enemy player uh, requires another unit to do that. Um, yeah, that's a bummer. I think it should get a bonus if it hits the enemy player itself too, because otherwise it's so it's just so weak and it gain it grows so slowly. Yeah, yeah. So that that was that was a big bummer <laughs> in my 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 one Praxis deck. Yeah. Although here's a fun tip. Um, it does. It doesn't trigger when you hit the enemy player. It triggers at the end of any turn in which you have hit the enemy player. So you can attack with something, see if it gets through, and then make the decision whether you want to play the one-one flyer. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. Um, yeah, and so that one, and then you had kind of poo-pooed it already but huru i feel like there there just has to be there has to be a good there's gotta always be, a gotta be a way to make it work i know i just haven't found it um yeah so i i think the the that's our archetype breakdown here i um, guess we can uh, briefly address xenon because uh, i know we've had a couple of seven wind decks posted with xenon or at least one recently uh, and it had like the marquee cards, you know, the two two with deadly that it has stealth. If you have a, a unit in the void, that's the common. And then the uncommon is the two two flyer, which grows every time a unit goes to your void, which is definitely a good card. Uh, I just haven't been able to make that work myself yet either. 
Um, but it definitely like that the the deck that I think Collector posted it. Uh, it looks like what they're what Direwolf was trying to do with Xenon. You know, it's like you got your deadly units on the ground. You got your giant flyer that keeps growing. You've got ways to put stuff into the void. Uh, you got discard and that kind of thing. Uh, it, that's what it should look like. And apparently, yeah. it is possible to be successful with it. Yeah, and Gunner also just posted a Xenon. Oh, no, it was too. Gunner. I guess maybe I got it wrong and it wasn't Collector. Oh, that's fine. Collector's constantly posting really good stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I could be, it could be both. I, I think, yeah, like you said, this is a deck that obviously people are making work. We've we've only had five five of them in the spreadsheet so far, but again, we've only had 87 decks. But but yeah, we'll yeah. see. There's a lot. There's a lot of this format left to go. So I think we'll end our show there. Thank you again to all our patrons for making the show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. There'll be a link uh, down below in the episode description uh, where you can we can talk about the format together. And then finally, you can thumbs up all Raven Dragon's Reddit posts about the show, as well as uh, please send in all your seven win deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them in the Discord, like we mentioned. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Goodbye.